0: Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. There is a lot of forgiveness in Galatians, but I'm going to tell you right now, Paul shoots straight for the eyes. Um, so strap in, let's go. So um, <laughs> just give you a bit of background, in the course of the 30 years between Paul's conversion at Damascus and his imprisonment in Rome, he traveled a lot. And he did a lot while he was traveling. He preached the gospel and he was planting churches. And some of the the churches he planted uh, were in the provinces of Galatia, Asia, Macedonia, and uh, Sheminesia. Um, Which is a word I can't say, but roughly that means north and south Greece. Anyway, following his visits with his letters, the earliest of which is thought to be this letter to the Galatians. And it's written roughly around AD 50. Does that matter? Probably not. It's just good information to have. But um, since he had visited the churches, and this is, is what matters, um, they had been visited by other false teachers who had come in and who had started to basically say to them, this message of grace that you've received isn't great, and actually you need to abide by the law of Moses. Um, and what they did was they kind of did this two-pronged uh, attack, and they said, basically said, look, Paul, you're, he's not an apostle, and the message he preaches isn't right. And so they come in and they're they saying these things. And so this message to the Galatians is actually coming directly against that. And Paul does not mince his words as we are about to see. So let's open our Bibles to Galatians 1. Um, and it says this: it says, Paul, an apostle, sent not by man, not, not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right from the very start, like literally just in those few verses, Paul's just outlined the whole point, which is I'm an apostle, I'm a man sent by God, and I carry a message of grace. (laughs) Um, that, that whole thing that they were saying he was an imposter, he wasn't an apostle. And, and so, the reason he says this is he says, I'm not, what you're saying about me, it's not true. I'm going to, from the very moment I'm going to start this letter to you, I want you to know I'm, I'm Paul. I'm the Paul, the guy that you know. I've been sent not by man, but by God Himself. And that's important. And then what normally would have happened in a letter would it be like, they do the normal intro bit and then they go into a time of like, kind of building the church up, kind of congratulating the church or kind of praising them in some respect. And all of that is missing in here, um, which is really important. And the reason, instead he starts with a doxology. Those were normally saved till the end of the letter, but the reason that he starts with an, a doxology in this case is because he's making a point. Everything Paul does is making a point. Is that, um, was that this doxology, um, was there to serve an important purpose to say that this gospel is set far and above of any other human criticism or praise. It's for God's glory is forever and ever. Amen. And the rest of this will fade away. That's what he's saying. Is He's saying this, this, is, this is the chief thing. This doxology, this is what we're going for. That is God's glory that we are after, not men. Yes. Right. Okay. You ready? This, this is where I encourage you to strap in. Let's go to verse 6. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Yeah, look. <clears throat> Thanks, Paul. Um, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse as we've already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Ouch. He's straight into the point, isn't he? And the reason he's not doing an exhortation, the reason he's not praising them is because this is so important. There's no point dilly-dallying. There's no point. He needs to get to the point. There's no reason to kind of delay because this is important, that they have chosen to accept something that isn't right. And that's not okay. Why have you accepted this other message that isn't true? He's crying out in astonishment at what they've done. Turning away from the gospel, the true gospel, the gospel that was a message of grace, to embrace something else that wasn't a gospel at all. The word that he uses is this word called metathesis. Conway gave me an okay in the first service, so we're going to continue with that, that pronunciation. Um, but that means to desert an idea or movement. And it's this really strong meaning implying both a level of military revolt and a change of attitude. And the placing of it, again, you would only read this from reading commentaries. And I, I, This didn't come to me naturally, I, I just stole all of this information out of a book. But um, the use of the verb in the middle voice, not the passive, no idea what those words mean, but it's important because It suggests that conduct wasn't as a result of outside influences, but that they were responsible themselves for turning away. They had chosen to partner with the lie, the lie that they could do anything to save themselves. They'd chosen to partner with it. It was their choice. It wasn't someone who would come and, you know, Paul talks about it, aren't you, that people throwing you into confusion, but it was their choice to enter into the lie. He's implying that they're not just deserting an idea or a movement, but the very Father, turning their back on the very Father who gave them life and called them into faith. And by embracing legalism, which is what this was, by saying that that if I do everything right according to the law of Moses, then I can make my own way to heaven. What they've done in doing that, they've turned their back on the gospel in order to embrace another gospel that doesn't even deserve to be called by the same name. Jesus is really clear, isn't he? He says, uh, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's really clear on it. And Paul, um, why I we need to hear it? It's really important to hear that Paul doesn't mention who these false teachers are, because he wants to emphasize this isn't a personal dislike. This isn't you know, people who were angry against each other. There's no mention of who these people are, just the message that they carry. He's concerned for truth because they were perverting the gospel and they were troubling the church. And it's just not okay. You know, um, John Stott writes this, and I really, really like this quote. It says, To tamper with the gospel is to trouble the church. Indeed, the church's greatest troublemakers, now as then, are those not outside who oppose ridicule and persecute it, but those inside who try and change it. And so Paul says this in verse 10, he says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? For if I was trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Having outlined the purpose of this letter, Paul hits this pivotal statement. I mean, like he, he really, he's going all guns blazing, isn't he? You know, he was being accused of trying to please men. Actually, what they were saying, what the, what the people who were coming in were saying, were, they were going, look, you're, you're trying to please people by making the gospel easy. You're watering it down. This grace thing's easy. Actually, they need to follow the law. But um, I think we can tell from this letter, he's, he's not concerned about pleasing people at all, in that sense. He's concerned about pleasing God. And I don't want you to hear that Paul didn't care for the Galatians or he didn't care for the the people that he was preaching to. He most definitely did. He laid down his life so that others could find it. But what he's saying is when pleasing people comes directly in opposition of pleasing God, he will always choose God. You know, he's, he's basically saying, look, you can say anything you want about me. You can call me all the names under the sun, but I will always choose to stand and to please my father. Mm-hmm. Um, he, the, the word, um, I would not be a servant of Christ, he's really cleverly pointing to where Jesus talks about not a, a slave cannot serve two masters. In Matthew 6, that talks about there is That we cannot serve two masters. We cannot please people and please God at the same time. We please God. a um, natural byproduct of that is pleasing people. Enjoying people, loving people—that's a really natural byproduct, but it always comes through pleasing God first, always, no exception. And so, what he does—and we're going to skip through these verses because we don't have time—but in verses eleven to twenty-one, he he goes on to defend his apostleship. He talks about the gospel that he directly received from God. He uh, talks about his personal history, his own conversion, his own amazing experience, his his early years as a Christian. And highlights again that he didn't encounter the 12 for a long time, the 12 being the 12 disciples. And the point of that is that this is God. This is God who ordained me. This is God who called me. And then he goes on. And then he goes on in chapter 2 to talk about his relationship with the other apostles. After that period of time, he talks about his time at the Council of Jerusalem, that they didn't find him wanting anything. They didn't add to his message, i.e. they were happy with what he was preaching. He went on to um, talk about Peter coming to Antioch and detail that time together and uh, his time with some of the other apostles and we really do not have time to go into it please do go home and read it there is so much goodness um, but the point that you need to hear is that he's not trying to defend himself for his own pride or his vanity but because if you if you take away the fact that he's been called by Christ you take away the point of his message does that make sense that the gospel, the true gospel, is worth defending. And he's saying, look, I am called by Jesus himself, and the message I carry is from Jesus himself. If you want to take my my apostleship away, if you want to take my calling away, that's okay, but then you take away this other thing. So I'm defending myself because I believe that this gospel that I'm preaching is true, and I'm willing to lay down my life for it. Let's go to uh, chapter 2, verse 15. Roz is doing an amazing job keeping up with me. I don't even have to look, so know that's definitely already there. Thank you, Roz. Roz is a real gift, by the way, to us as a church. I love that woman a lot. So, it says this It says, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, because the works of the law, no one will be justified. I'm just going to breathe for a second. But even seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For the law I died, for through the law I died, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for his righteousness could be gained through the law. Christ died for nothing. Oh, it's horrible. You can hear my water swallowing. Terrible. (laughs) Anyway, can we edit that out later, Sue? Oh, that's upsetting oh great cool that will all be edited when you hear it but um uh the, the, this is you know those verses are some of the most significant truths in christianity you know and it, it just really clearly details the basic argument that they were having which is can i follow the law and get myself to heaven or is it literally just this grace thing um and i want to i want to kind of um, put forward an idea to you Um i've not fully formed it in my head um I needed more time to go through it but I ran out of time so I'm just going to suggest this to you that um, one of the main things that happened um, that when Jesus came to earth was that he, he transformed faith from being an outward thing to an inward, uh, an inward thing and we can see that really clearly can't we because actually circumcision which is one of the biggest arguments that they were having um, and I'm hoping I don't need to explain what circumcision is although I actually have to do this in my day-to-day job quite a lot so we're all good right so um thank you. Um, but circumcision no longer needed to be something that happened because it was about circumcision of the heart, right? It was no longer an outward sign, but an inward reality. You know, we see it really clearly, don't we, in the, in the temple of God being, uh, being moved from, like the veil was physically torn so that God could come and inhabit us, the temples. That's amazing, right? That actually the presence of God that had been kept up for years, suddenly from like an outward thing that you would visit to an inward reality day to day. And there was this, this kind of transition from outward to inward. And we see it, we see it kind of being hinted at in the Old Testament. With, when, David, uh, when David gets anointed as king by Samuel, it's about uh, God saying man looks at out the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. In the Passion Translation, it says this, it says uh, in verse 21, it says, So that is why I don't view God's grace as something minor or peripheral. For if keeping the law could release God's righteousness to us, the anointed one would have died for nothing. You see, by embracing the law, we get rid of the need for Jesus. We just get rid of him. It's that simple. And it, what, what might seem like a really like, trivial thing was that they, they needed to get themselves circumcised or to follow these, these laws and these rituals, but that slight deviation eventually would lead them so, so far away from the truth and the goal. Does that make sense? Like that small angle offness, whatever the correct way to say that is, it would make a massive difference because by saying, by saying I can work my way into heaven. I just need to be good. Why do we need Jesus? The point of Jesus is this message of grace which it is freely given, God's riches at Christ's expense. Amen. It's the most beautiful, beautiful message. And we, we, we obviously sit here and we go, oh, they're absolute numpties. Why were they thinking they could work themselves to heaven? But if we actually stopped and looked at our lives, like I, I was I'm really examining myself this week and I was like, oh my word, there are so many so many like little things that I do where I try and work myself into God's grace, into his goodness. And the point is it's freely given. You know, one of my my favorite, favorite moments of the Bible was the guy who died on the left or the right of Jesus, depending on which way you're looking at him. Um, <laughs> um, but the, the point being that All he does is acknowledge who Jesus is. He is dying on the cross because he at least would have been a murderer. Like we're talking, like crucifixion was the worst punishment. And all he says is, Will you remember me in heaven? And the grace is given. Very truly, I tell you on this day, you will be with me in heaven. Such grace. There is nothing we can do to earn it. This is the message, this is our gospel. And so what I want to do is I just want to draw out three things. I'm going to call them the three no's with a K, not a N-O. K-N-O-W. But um, is, I just want to say three things, um, and, then, and then we're going to finish. I'm going to have a nice quick one today. But you need to know who and whose you are. You know, uh, the thing that they couldn't rock Paul, like they, they were literally coming against him, tearing down his, his uh, reputation and his name. And he could not be rocked. Why? Because he knew who he was and whose he was. You know, he knows what he's been called to. And so people coming at him and saying, you're not who you say you are. He's like, I don't care. I really don't care. Te- tear me down because I know who, who my God told me I am. I know what happened to me at Damascus. I know that the the scales fell from my eyes and I saw my God for who he was. I don't care. You know, there's there's a guy called uh, Leslie Weatherhead who tells this story of a boy who decided to become a minister. And after hearing a sermon in his school chapel, he asked the name of the preacher who had had such an effect on him that he would give his whole life to the ministry. And he replied by saying, I don't know the preacher's name, but I know it was God that spoke to me that day. Point being, only God can make a man a servant of God, not another man. Um, for those of you who don't know, um, I trained a, a Bible college called Redcliffe, and it's actually a mission training centre. So uh, the majority of the people who went there um, went, went to be missionaries overseas to leave their own culture and go and, and, go and serve overseas. And, and that comes with a lot of uh, sacrifice. And so... Um, one of the main things they did was they talked to us about knowing why we're going, knowing our calling. Because they said one of the biggest reasons people returned from the mission field was because they didn't know why they were there. And when the hard times came, they left. I'm going to be really honest with you guys. There's been times in... Um, I've, I've been a youth pastor for... I'll be, it'll be seven years in September. Um, and there have been times where it's been hard. and I mean, like, really hard. But I know why I'm here, because God has called me. And that makes it easier to stand. And so when we go into our day-to-day lives, into every situation, if we don't know why we're there, whose we are, then we, then we get lost in the wind. And I think that what was happening to the Galatians was they, that somehow they hadn't quite secured their foundation and they were getting a little bit lost, thrown into the confusion. But when I know who I am, who God says I am, and who God is calling me to be, I stand firm. And the wind and the waves may come. But we stand firm. We, when we know who we are and whose we are, everything changes. I love that we sang, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Me and Sue did not collude, so maybe God's trying to say something. I want, So we need to know who we are and whose we are. We need to know the message we carry. It's all about grace. There is literally nothing we can do to earn it. It's, um, it's what makes us distinctive from any other religion. We don't call it a religion. I hear what I'm saying, though is that this faith stands out amongst them all. It's one of the biggest, um, biggest questions I get asked is why, why Christianity, not anything else? I, by the way, I, um, I spend a lot of my time in schools, just meeting kids who don't believe in Jesus. Um, it's one of the biggest questions they ask is why? why? Why this one, not the other one? And every single time it's the easiest response, it's because there's nothing I can do to earn it, and yet freely it is given. You know, um, so Nathan did it unintentionally, I think you did it intentionally in the second service, but uh, unintentionally he called me Amy Grace, which he never does. He normally calls me Amos, um, and I call him Nathanos. There is no reason for these nicknames. It's just what we do. Um, But um, so he called me Amy Grace, and I thought that's really funny because actually um, my middle name is something that I've really struggled with. Um, My name is Amy Grace. and I haven't always enjoyed it, mostly because um, I'm quite clumsy and graceful is not one of my natures. Um, but also because uh, grace is hard. I always have a slight annoyance at it because uh, all my other, I've, I'm one of five and all of my other siblings get a biblical character as a name and I just got grace. I'm like, that's really great, but I wanted I want to be like Ruth or like, I didn't want to be Mary. No offense if your name's Mary, but I was like, I didn't did want to be the lady in the school play much rather be the donkey. Anyway, I've got really off the point, but the point is I've really struggled with my name, and because grace is flipping hard, it's flipping hard, Um, and it isn't deserved, but if we are carrying a message of grace, then we've got to show it, right? If the whole point, if the whole point of why Jesus died was, was for us is to give this freely, this grace given freely, and we're living our lives as ambassadors of Christ, not giving out this grace, not living in grace, like honestly, what is the point? And the third no that I want you to know is that what is at stake if we lose, lose this message? perverted gospel is no gospel at all it's just not That if we um you know as john stott says if we start to slightly change it it's just not worth it guys we live our lives for an audience of one you know and one of the biggest prayers that um i've been praying at the moment is father you're the reason i came because um, I'm, uh, if you're talking a Mary Martha situation of the doers and the sitters at the feeters, I'm a, I'm a doer. And I do, I come into church um, on Sunday and I go straight into work mode. And I'm like, right, what can I do? There's always like a technical issue I can get my hands on. And I go in and, and actually sometimes I forget why I came. It was I didn't come to s- sort out the computer and I didn't come to, to, to I, I did come to preach today, but hear what I'm saying, I didn't turn up to preach. I came because I want to encounter Jesus. You're the reason I turn up to work each day. I do this for an audience of one. And we get so lost, you know. um, for Some of you, this may apply more than others, but we live, um, I would call it an Instagram culture, a culture of comparison, where day to day we're comparing ourselves to others and um, kind of seeking the approval of others in almost everything we do. It's quite, it's it's actually really, um, I find it really hard to kind of watch what's happening to our teenagers. Um, it's my greatest joy that I get to work with them. But flip, that, that culture is having an effect. And, and actually, it's having an effect on us if we're being really honest. But we do things for an audience of one, which means that when, when what I'm saying might, not, might hurt you because it's what God has asked me to say, I have to say it. Because I do it for an audience of one. Um, you know, there is a lot of our gospel that is really countercultural. It just is, um, and I go into schools every day. I see young people every day, and I have to, I have to stand up for the gospel. And sometimes that's easier than other times. You know, we are so blessed to have a real array of kids that turn up to our Christian unions midweek. The wind is blowing. <laughs> We're so blessed. But sometimes it means I have to have a harder conversation. It doesn't, doesn't mean I don't love them. And there's, a, as a, there's kids that we have at the moment who, who know that we're loved and that we, we may disagree with how they live their lifestyle. They, they know that. But it doesn't mean I don't say it. Because God always trumps people. And those two things will come into conflict at some point of your lives, guys. And it's always better to stand up for the gospel. It just always is, and it's hard, but it's worth it. I want to read you. Um, I want to read you, verse ten, uh, Galatians one, verse ten, in the Passion translation. If you've not um, read the Passion translation, I really um, implore you to go home and read it. It's on the Bible app, um, free, so you don't even need to buy it. Um, it says this. I'm obviously not trying to flatter you, or water down my message to be popular with men. But my supreme compassion is to please God. For if all I attempt to do is please people, I would not be the true servant of the Messiah. Why don't we pray? Father, you're the reason that we came here this morning. You're the reason that we came. We came to encounter you. And so actually just in this moment, Father, we lay our lives down before you again. We say thank you for this message of grace that is so freely given. Thank you that your son died on the cross so that we could spend eternity with you. Father, I thank you for the gift that was so, so freely given. And so now, Father, I choose to live for you. I choose to live my life for the audience of one. I choose to lay down all the times that I want to please people, all the times that I want, to, I want to do things my own way. And where it comes into direct opposition of your will, Father. I lay those things down and I say, help me today live for you. Help me to stir that passion to please you and only you. I'm sorry for where I've got it wrong. I'm sorry for where I've messed up before and I know you do not hold those things against me. But I walk into your grace. Mm. And I will choose to try and extend this grace to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Why don't we stop?